0: We're live with uh, Nick Frosty. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Noah? I'm doing well. Um, awesome to have you on the pod. Nick is a, uh, a longtime listener of Product Journey, so thanks for following along the journey, Nick, and uh, it's, it's going to be fun to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. I can hit you with the uh, longtime
1: listener, first-time caller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes, <laughs> makes for good
0: radio. Yeah, exactly um let's see so we'll probably talk through a couple different things here um first I want to just talk a little bit about building I'm just curious to hear like what you're up to because I know like I've seen you on Twitter like you're you're building little tools little things um seems like you're having fun with it so yeah can you share a little bit what you're what you've been up to
1: yeah absolutely so this year in 2020 I decided to take the big leap of trying to do multiple products at once so I set out an initial goal of building six products this year uh, including one video course because I've been creating content online for you know like a decade or so and I really want to create a full-fledged video course but I don't know if that's going to happen this year Uh, but so far this year and it's what May as we're recording this and I've launched three products they're all usable MVPs or uh, SLCs, simple lovable, um, or SLP, simple lovable products. And so I've launched the three yep. of them so far and they are relatively simple, but get the job done. And then now I'm embarking on the bigger journey of building my newest product, which I think is gonna be a long-term product that I'm gonna probably focus on primarily for the future and probably stop with the, uh, the multiple products at once because it's a lot of effort and a lot of things to track mentally. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and you, this isn't like your full-time thing, like you you work, you work for the Navy, right?
1: Yeah, so I do all my product building on the side in my spare time. I'm actually active duty Navy right now, and I've been in for close to 10 years now, active duty. And I have, uh, I'm actually definitely transitioning out of the Navy. I've got about 10 months left until I I'm no longer active duty, and then I'll be able to, oh, wow. uh, hopefully, get a software engineer job. Or best case scenario, I'm working on my own stuff and making enough from that to to do my own stuff.
0: Yeah, that's cool, and that's um, yeah, that's quite a goal to to go for. I know, so I know a couple people that are in the the military, um, including two, two of my brothers, and uh, yeah, that transition out of the military can be quite a transition, just because. There's not. Well, I guess it depends what you're doing in the military, but there's just not a lot of jobs kind of in the real world that are like typically as similar as like working for the military and doing the stuff that you're doing. Um, So I know for some people that can be maybe a little rockier transition. Um, But yeah, I mean, that sounds like an awesome plan. I mean, you basically just building stuff um is gonna get you ready um to hopefully you know be able to transition do software stuff like i think that's what people like employers like to see the most is like if they can see if you can point to like oh this is like a, a real product that's like live that you can go check out right now like i think that looks really good like on a, a resume kind of thing so i think that's a smart way to go
1: yeah absolutely one of the things that's uh it that's interesting for me is so i'm my goal of transitioning into software engineering full-time is still different enough from what i do now because right now i'm basically in nuclear power Um, my official job role now is an instructor and uh, teaching submarine engineering departments how to safely and effectively operate their nuclear reactors and i've done like supervisory roles and managing small teams sort of project management type stuff but that's all in the, mm. I guess technically the energy sector. So it's still, while it's still engineering, it's not, uh, it's not software engineering. So it's different, different beast, I guess. But I'm, yeah, I'm excited to transition right. to it. Because, like I said, I've been, right. I've been programming for, uh, probably close to fifteen years now. Yeah. I've been doing it since middle oh, school.
0: So- oh okay. That, yeah, so you, you've had some experience doing it, and you're mostly self-taught then, or did you take some classes and stuff in the beginning?
1: No, so I'm completely self-taught with my main focus of, like, web development. In uh, in high school, I took a Java course as part of my high school curriculum, and I don't like Java. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Java's uh, kind of yeah. the way of the past, and that was, you know, probably close to 10, 12 years ago something like that when i took that course i took it as a freshman which was interesting because i was the i was the only freshman in my class it was only seniors so i was the only freshman in the class because i'd already been programming for a couple of years at that point throughout middle school and uh Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. wasn't a big fan of java but i started learning php super early on completely self-taught from youtube videos making little little side projects and uh the, the funny thing is is i actually created my first startup in i guess early high school which looking back I realized it was kind of a startup but at the time I didn't I was just making stuff with my friends we were making a uh, mm-hmm. a video game tournament site and it was uh we had a, an alpha signup list of close to 1200 people on it and oh wow uh worked on it throughout high school and had some users but we uh when I eventually enlisted in the navy and shipped out. I recognized that I wasn't going to have enough time to, to work on it because I was the only developer. He was doing the design, design and marketing, and I just effectively sold my shares. I technically exited for like, you know, twelve grand or something like that, um, because someone else but came on. So it was kind of a. Well, yeah, I kind of sold it to him and the other guy we had working on it, and he since no longer works on. I don't think anyone carried it on, but he actually has a a startup out in California which is uh which is super cool. So we still stay in touch. And we were internet friends, we met online and then we started making stuff together back 12 years ago or something like that.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Um so I'm curious like you you are have these goals to like do six projects this year. Um are I guess what's the main goal with that? Is that to kind of build up a portfolio or are you like really trying to test some different ideas to see like what business you think makes sense for you like I know people do like the this you know the 12 startups in 12 months kind of thing kind of like the shotgun approach to like finding something yeah what what's your kind of reasoning for why you're building so
1: for me it was kind of a a multi-tiered approach of on one hand I've heard the you know the Peter the classic Peter Levels 12 startups in 12 months but with the amount of time I have to work on it, twelve just wasn't feasible, so I slimmed it down to six. Mm-hmm. And yep. one of my biggest problems is and like I recognize this, you know, as a as a human trying to improve my own, you know, whatever brain bugs I have, of I'll get a project, you know, 90 percent done, and that last ten to twenty percent is always the hardest to get it shipped out the door and usable enough for someone oh, yeah. else where I'm not just making database edits uh myself and there's like you know interfaces and and all that kind of stuff so there was that my the big goal was just to ship things out the door and get over that whatever mental bug i had of not finishing projects so just trying to get stuff out the door which i feel a lot better about now having shipped three gotten three out the door the one of the other portions of what i was going for is uh trying to get revenue and build up a product that can eventually make money and, and sustain myself and my family. Cause you know, it's the, it's the indie hacker dream.
0: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. And then also
1: knowing that I was going to transition out of the Navy into either something that I had created and doing that full time or working for someone else, understanding that having a portfolio of products that have been launched and completely coded, in different tech stacks giving me the experience of different things, then uh, that would look really good for my resume for
0: whenever I eventually applied for a job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm curious to hear kind of your thinking of like how you um, think through like an idea and start actually working on something and how you think through that. Cause so I, I was talking to a friend this week who called me who basically had, questions about a a business a business idea that he wants to work on and so Mm -hmm. he was talking through it and I just saw like a ton of red flags and I was trying to know I was trying to you know like help him a little bit of like knowing like you know just the best way to start with something Um, because I think I think a lot of people that haven't had experience like building stuff doing entrepreneurial stuff one of the problems I see is people kind of take off way more like a bigger bite than they can chew kind of thing like they have this like grandiose idea and they're like oh i can do all this stuff and it's gonna be amazing and and the funniest thing maybe this was a couple years ago but i remember with just like random people like family members and stuff it was always a mobile app you know it's always like some crazy mobile app the next wave of the internet (laughs) well i guess now it's crypto but yeah (laughs) right um and, you know, they I'd have, like, friends and family come to me. It was also probably because I worked on s- some mobile app stuff for my job. But they would be like, oh, I have this amazing mobile app idea. This is going to be the next big thing. And, they like, they thought that the idea was all they needed and that they could, like, turn this into something amazing. But they had kind of no idea how to, like, do that and how to, like, turn something into something real. So, like, even, like, this this friend I was talking to, like, he was thinking of, like, paying... Like a developer, twenty thousand dollars just to like build something, like before he's like really has any idea what he's building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he kind of just has that this sounds, idea, like oh, that this is like a thing. really good use of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was trying to kind of push him in the right direction, ask, help him like see the the questions and things that he should be asking to kind of lead him down the right road. But yeah, so like. How, how are you thinking about some of those early questions of like figuring out what to build? Um, yeah. How do you do that? Um,
1: so on, on the note of your friends, uh, one of my favorite, uh, quotes it's by, uh, Ben Ornstein, uh, you know, fellow podcaster and, and well-known in the SaaS industry is, cool. is he always says on, Tuple. on his show. Yeah. Tuple founder, of Tuple, one of the co-founders rather. He always says on his show, like, good software takes time. And that's absolutely true. And, you know, I probably have fallen into that trap before. I I know I've fallen into that trap before of having all these grandiose ideas of the things that I want to build. And it's going to have all these cool features and full admin management console and, you know, or interface and all that, all that good stuff. But good software takes time. And understanding how much time you have to spend on it. And your own personal abilities so i i love coding i love anything tech both hardware and software and i love learning new tech stacks um mm-hmm. like right now i'm focused on the the javascript tech stack which you know is all the rage these days and mm-hmm. uh one of the hardest things is evaluating not only finding the idea but evaluating how long, realistically, how long it will take to get to an MVP status of something that is actually a usable product by someone that's not you, yep. but then that's just, the, that's just the first part of that, of that we'll, we'll call it a trident, I guess, that's the first spear of the trident, because then there's also marketing and how you're going to acquire customers, and then the third part of that trident that I like to think about is how much is it going to cost you? There's two ways that it can cost you, both in time or in money. So if you are an mm-hmm. individual like myself where I have more time than money to spend on something and I have, you know, I have the passion to do it, then I'll, I'll spend more time than I probably should. But other individuals they and they might not be technical. those individuals might be willing to drop you know ten, twenty thousand dollars to hire a developer to, to make something. and an, eval, an, an adequate evaluation of your own skill set and mindset is super important especially if you are trying to make something in, make any sort of business really. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like in the past, I'll give you an example. In the past, I, uh, so when I moved to where I live now, I moved for work for the Navy. And one of the first things that I did is I started a business. I registered with an LLC and I started a vending machine business. And that was, you know, it was a really cool like in-person thing because vending machines are a relatively low Effort, we'll say. Once you have a you know a location, you have a machine somewhere. Relatively low effort. You just gotta restock it and collect your money, right? Well, when I moved here and I started this, it was right when COVID hit the U.S. and the entire U.S. shut down. (laughs) So there's me, this random person, calling businesses of and asking, "Hey, can I put this vetting machine in your your car shop or your you know your business? And you don't have to do anything, and I'll stock it and everything. And I got a couple of places, and I made some money off of it. I guess i probably broke even eventually sold all the equipment but it was a collection of like soda canning machines mm-hmm. and like quarter operated gumball machine type stuff and it was definitely a learning experience <laughs> and That's my wife cool. was very pregnant at the time too but and she's she's awesome she's very supportive of me me and my harebrained schemes um <laughs> okay we should talk
0: about that for a second um I Uh, I
1: remember your your (laughs) one of your episodes we did when you had your wife on. That was like an awesome episode to listen to,
0: and uh, I actually have something I I want to ask you about that later. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I I I think I told my wife like I think that is probably the best episode that we've ever had on the podcast because, like, just like I don't know, it's always a lot of times you know builders are typically guys and there's always these women behind the scenes that have to deal with all of our our junk (laughs) so i thought it would just be good to talk to her about it but because i think that is really interesting just the idea that like you know you have these crazy ideas (laughs) They, they probably seem crazy to your wife and uh you're like hey uh honey uh what do you think of this idea and then you know the next i'm sure there's like you know a couple weeks later you're like hey honey what do you think about this idea and um, she's it's like just she's funny. like face
1: palming. she's like not another
0: one <laughs> like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so it's just it's a funny thing because i know for my wife like there was a big learning curve kind of for her to just kind of understand me and like understand like i always got to be like creating something and like that's what i enjoy doing and because th- that's not really normal like there's just not <laughs> no, a lot of people that's out one there thing that thing we are not normal for this it. <laughs> yeah, so I can just imagine you kind of like going up to your wife and be like, hey, uh, I, I want to buy this vending machine. <laughs> she, yeah, How she did was, that go?
1: <laughs> she, was, she was amazingly supportive because um, my wife was awesome. So I had, I had just moved from Hawaii uh, back to the, the mainland, as we call it, because uh, I had been living in Hawaii for, uh, I don't know, like four years or something like that, four and a half years. And while I was on, so I'm a, I'm a submariner, a submarine electrician. And when you're on a submarine, like you're, you're doing a whole bunch of stuff and you don't have a whole lot of free time deployments and, and things like that. So going from Hawaii of not having a whole lot of time to where I work now, I have a lot more free time and the ability to like, you know, be around more often. And like one of the first things we did is we moved into an apartment and I'm like, I'm going to do vending machines. And she's like, Hmm, skeptical, but okay. I support you. And I love you. <laughs> and one of the times, and the thing is like, I also didn't know anybody in the area. Like I had some people I work with, that I kind of knew. Uh, so I did all sorts of research of how I'm going to move a vending machine by myself. Cause I'm, I like to plan things out at least, you know, try to be informed as best I can. And I'm like trying to plan how I'm going to move this vending machine. And I'm, I got a, um, like a rental, uh, storage unit, a small one that could fit a couple of vending machines in it. And I go, I get a, I rent a truck and I buy some used vending machines and I'm transporting them and I go to put them in this, uh, this rental unit, this storage unit. And one of the vending machines tips over, like falls on the ground laying on its side. And these things are hundreds and hundreds of pounds, like five or 600 pounds probably. So it's too much for like one normal person to lift, and mm-hmm. I have a I have a dolly, and I'm trying to like pick this thing up, and my wife knew that I was like going out and doing this. I was like, hey, I'm going to pick up this machine, and I'm gonna throw it in the storage unit, and then so it falls over, and I call my wife, and I'm like, hey, the storage place closes in like 20 minutes or something like that, and I'm gonna get locked in 20 30 minutes, and I'm gonna get locked in this vending machine's laying on its side, and I can't get it up. Can you come help me? She just the biggest <laughs> sigh. She's like, "Okay, I'm on my way." And one of the things that I didn't say is she's like six or eight months, six to eight months pregnant at this point. So she's super, oh, super man. pregnant. And we're like thinking about it and like trying to figure out how we're gonna get enough leverage and trying to you know lift this thing up. Eventually, we get it up, and there's like some stranger in the in the storage unit facility. I'm like, "Hey, random person, this vending machine fell over. Could you help me?" And for all the credit of the guy he was and this like again, it's peak COVID and so this stranger's like, mmm I guess so. So he was super <laughs> nice. We eventually got it up and put it in the storage unit. And uh my wife was she was uh still supportive, but uh yep. never she will never <laughs> let me live that down. And uh yeah, yeah
0: that's that's funny it it makes good memories uh good times exactly (laughs) good memories but now you're probably thinking man i should stick with software it's a lot lighter than that vending machine
1: (laughs) it's uh yeah it's a different well it's also like covid and you know all the all the right strings attached with covid living in a covid environment and it was a good experience though because i learned a lot of things not only of thinking things through more which is important (laughs) And, (laughs) uh, but one of the things I learned is, is in order to get locations, I would do basically cold calling. I would go on Google maps and find businesses that I thought that might be interested. And I would just cold call them. And I would start talking to random employees or managers at these businesses and try to ask them of, you know, Hey, can I put a vending machine here? And I, most of them just said, no, we're not interested. It's COVID call back in a year, nine months, whatever. And a couple mm-hmm. of them were interested and in, in put some on location, and they had to manage them. Did, manage did some have inventory share type stuff. Some of the and... profit
0: with with those companies.
1: No, so it, it depends on the location. The ones that I had, they were totally okay with not sharing any profit, not sharing anything, because it was a effectively like a managed service of they didn't have to do anything, and they got a machine they had snacks and things from their for their employees and they would request different drinks or snacks or whatever and i'd I'd throw it in there and you know it 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 was a fun experience (laughs) but i will probably never do that
0: again yeah so that that kind of reminds me of one of my early businesses that one of my first tries to do a business that wasn't software related um and kind of after this business i was like all right i'm I'm sticking to software (laughs) but uh (laughs) yeah so i I, uh, lessons were learned I, I basically tried to yeah I, I basically tried to do one of those AWS like Amazon businesses where you sell products online like there's tons of people mm-hmm. talking about these kind of things the Amazon um, like on YouTube FBA and stuff. fulfillment by Amazon <laughs> right exactly um, and so I, I was like researching for like two months what product I wanted to sell and where I was gonna get it and all this stuff and uh, I ended up finding something that I was like, all right, this is a great opportunity. There's not that many of them listed. Like I was using one of those special tools that like helps you find the, was the it open Jungle opportunities. Scout? Uh, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I have another story where I've done the exact same
0: thing. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll have, to, I'll have to hear yours too. But So the quick version of mine is that I found the perfect... If if you ended up selling the same thing, that, that would be hilarious. Because actually, I think that's one of the problems really with this is that I think everyone on these like Jungle Scout and these these tools end up finding the same opportunities. And so like right at the same time, everyone starts the, a new business selling the same products. Yep, um, and absolutely. then it just is obviously terrible for them. So because I was looking at this product and there was only, I think, maybe like, five to 10 ish sellers. And I was like, all right, I can get on the first page for sure. Right. And you know, the whole process of I I order them from China, it takes, you know, a month or two for those all to come through. And by the time I'm selling, there's like 40 people selling this thing. And I'm nowhere close to the first page. And what I ended up selling was barn door guides. (laughs) So it's kind of like, you know, you, you, You screw it into the bottom of the wall and Mm -hmm. the rolling barn door that kind of just is hanging it has this guide to kind of keep it you know close to the wall you that's really important you need that
1: yeah if you don't (laughs) have it just bangs up your wall
0: right (laughs) and I called the business braggies off my last name and it was kind of hilarious I like made the logo all by myself and um yeah, it didn't didn't go too well. I think I lost at least a thousand dollars on that that business. I bought five hundred of these barn door guides, um, and I was just selling at them at like a huge discount just to get rid of them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that ended. <laughs> Noah, I have something to tell you. I also sold
1: barn door guides. <sighs> no, no, not really. You... Not really. No, that would have been so. that would have been crazy <laughs> if I did. No, I went I went super super niche, and I decided that I was going to try to sell. Uh, and so I'll keep in mind I never like fully pulled the trigger on it but I was like oh I was real close I was going to sell uh, whiskey stones do you know what whiskey stones are? no so they're basically like it's a certain type of, of rock that like will maintain like once you put, it, you put it in your freezer and it basically is like a reusable ice cube kind of thing where you put it in your freezer it stays cold then you can put it in your your you know beverage of choice and it doesn't it's not ice so it doesn't dilute whatever you're drinking. So they're called whiskey stones. So I was I was gonna do that. Um, I never ended up pulling the trigger on it. I had a couple of different samples and I actually probably still have some of them. Like the samples you get of testing out different, <laughs> you know, manufacturers yep. and different China. shapes for me. Cause yeah, uh, all sorts of sort of things from uh, China. And that was yeah that was a that was an interesting experience. And that was actually right before the um, before the vending machines. And I was just like, mm, maybe this Amazon FBA thing isn't for me. And then I tried yeah, vending machines. Yeah. And then mm, maybe this vending machine thing isn't for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it is crazy, and I think that's what I was kind of realizing when I was talking to my friend on the phone is that like, there there is so many lessons and things that you learn. Um, Just like trying to do entrepreneurial things, trying to build little businesses that like I kind of forget all these like kind of like little pieces of advice or just lessons that I've learned that I kind of carry with me that I couldn't necessarily tell you what they all are. But when I like make decisions in my businesses and what I'm doing, like there's all this like opinionated stuff that I do have um, that I kind of carry with me from those past learnings that I think is, like, really helpful. Um, And I think you kind of forget how, you know, how much that is all needed. Um, Because, yeah, when I have, like, these friends or family members come with me with their first, you know, business idea, there's just tons of red flags, but they don't see any of it, you know. And so I think that's, that's kind of interesting to think about just how important kind of all those those learnings and and that's why you know doing what you're doing of like trying five or six different things kind of feeling it out figuring out what what works best for you what makes the most sense what kind of business you want to build is I think really helpful to anybody on their like entrepreneurial journey
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it yeah it's those it's those subtle subconscious things you have in your brain that make make or break a business I think and that's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why when you hear about companies investing in in big VC investors they they love investing in two time founders someone who has successfully done it before or at least moderately successfully done it like having that experience or having different life experiences having done hard things in life people love seeing that because once you've done hard things in life that resets your baseline Mm -hmm. of whatever you personally subconsciously think it's a hard thing and it makes everything else easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this makes me think of another little business that I tried to do. Um, I think this was about five years ago. I'm pretty sure I haven't talked about this on the pod before. I came up with this idea for an app called crowd cookie (laughs) where the the whole plan was that you could order hot cookies from anybody near you like your 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 neighbors anyone that's good at making cookies could be a baker and they could make their baked good they could basically they could make their specialty you know if it's chocolate chip cookies it's it's whatever and you just get on your phone kind of like DoorDash or something and you mm-hmm. order it and you get hot cookies hot baked goods delivered to your door <laughs> and so the way that i made I like my it. mvp was I made a really simple mobile app, and I made it um, so that people could order just a dozen hot chocolate chip cookies for $6, and it would, whenever they ordered, it would just send me an email to my personal email. And it's I... MVP I, right there. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I I took flyers out to my apartment complex around me. I took them out to like the neighbors around me, and I would... Oh, that was the other thing I did. I On the app, I had a thing where I could turn the service on and off, where I could say yeah. like hot cookies are available, they're not available. And so people would check the app to see, can I get hot cookies right now? And when I was back home from work, because I had a day job, I would just turn, flip it on. And the whole afternoon, evening, I would just have it on to where at any moment someone could uh, <laughs> order hot cookies and I would, my, my wife helped me with this one too. Cause she, she I was, was gonna the be the maker. question I asked right. you. <laughs> yeah. Your wife's in there just bitterly <laughs> making cookies all day. And she's like, ah. she's
1: like, he's no, we'll lucky. See, that, yeah, I love him.
0: The, <laughs> well, see, that was the funny thing was that like she had this whole system where. And she kind of taught me how to do it where she would make all the cookie dough and stuff beforehand we'd put it in the freezer and it was a a cookie where you could just take it out of the freezer put it in the oven and in like 10 minutes they're ready to go they're hot i would you know put them on a plate and drive them over to the person um but the the kind of the funny thing about this was that you never knew when someone was gonna order the cookies it was like i was on call like i was like a a doctor or something and i would just like have to be frantically i would you know i'd get the email alert and i would just like frantically make these cookies as fast as i could run out the door i mean it was kind of a fun period for a little while um how, long did, like, wow, this this <laughs> how long did you do this for ridiculous
1: how long did you do this probably like
0: probably like two months and um okay okay i you know i i got i didn't get that many orders like I the funny thing was I got to where I had two people that were like really loving the cookies and they would order at least once a week like maybe twice a week they'd be ordering cookies for me and they were kind of my products are all about
1: that repeat customer got to get them repeat customers
0: (laughs) yeah Um, but yeah otherwise like there was just a few people that tried it out Um, they said they were good cookies and you know the whole thing that you know, I put on the the ad that I put out was that they'd be hot when they arrived at their door. So I was I would sprint out to my car with these cookies. Um, Did you so have yeah, one it, of it those? Kind of uh, funny.
1: Like, like Grubhub or Postmates or whatever, they have like the the insulation bag for transporting your food. Did you have one of those too?
0: I did have one of those, yep. Did you have like Um,
1: a moped? Were you riding around on a moped? You're like, I got your cookies. No. Oh,
0: that would have been great. Um just a car. But yeah, I yeah, it was it was funny. I think so I guess what what I learned from that business was that basically I don't wanna do products, like at at the beginning, I thought what was really cool was products that took software and combined them with real world like utility, like real world use. Kind of like, you know, Uber, DoorDash, things like that. I was looking at those businesses and I thought those were really cool. But after kind of trying that for two months, I kind of just realized how hard it is to run a business like that. Cause there's just so much like logistics and real world problems that are behind those kind of software businesses. That just to make something like that work would just be super difficult, <clears throat> um, and so that's when I kind of learned like, okay, I need to like go basically all in on just only software. Like only software is kind of where it's at, where it's it's very scalable. It's more something you can do as a solo person or a small like small uh, business. And so, anyways, that was kind of what I learned from that that experience. But it was it was kind of funny.
1: That's 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 great. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of people that have businesses <laughs> like that. There's a an Indie Hackers episode where mm. uh, Cortland Allen was interviewing someone who basically did the same thing. I think it was it was a it was a couple. I think they were yeah. one was a software engineer and one I don't like cookies or something. I, I don't remember, but they decided to make a cookie business and they would make hot cookies and just their local area. And I th- I want to say and don't quote me on this, but I think they've done multiple episodes with them on uh, the Indie Hackers podcast. And, but their business is booming. They're making tons and yeah, tons of money, and, like and they seem to be a
0: month or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was all just a local business, and, and they were a software-enabled local business, and they're they're crushing it. So,
0: yeah, maybe maybe we need to go back to that crowd cookie idea.
1: Maybe maybe. <laughs> and that's one of the things about starting a business is everyone has advantages and disadvantages in life. Flat out blanket statement, true statement understanding what advantages you have as an individual or as a team and utilizing those advantages to your benefit and building a product or a business that guides into that uh, it it's super you know that's that's what sets yeah. really good businesses apart if people that understand that take take transistor for example transistor.fm with Justin Jackson and John Buddha John Buddha awesome developer Justin Jackson awesome awesome marketer Justin had been podcasting for many years had several shows John Buddha had been a, a really good programmer for a really long time and I think he had also made a podcast platform before and some drama happened or something and they eventually teamed up together and they made transistor and then transistor is doing amazing they're crushing it you know, they, they yeah, took their sure. the advantages that they had as individuals and then together and built a really successful really awesome business and an awesome product
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, what do you think are from from what you've learned about yourself and through building these little businesses and stuff so far? What do you think is like the advantage that you have that you're mm. like is something that you need to bring to the table for a business idea when you're looking at one?
1: Mm, that is a good question. Um, Got me with a stumper. I wasn't prepared for this. Um,
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. It is a hard question because um, it's kind yeah, of yeah, it's like, definitely yeah, it's, it's definitely like hard question to answer. People always to want answer. to know like uh, you know what's your differentiator and stuff like that, and it can be hard to have a differentiator sometimes. Um, I think you know, one of the, say one of you the things. Need one, but.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm uh, incredibly good at is kind of like a troubleshooting mindset. Of if if there's a problem, I am. I, I have like a fierce level of ownership where I will take charge of a problem or, or, you know, some particular focus area and I'll really hone in on it and I'll learn everything there is to possibly learn on it. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. I'll learn everything there is to possibly learn on that thing or that problem and probably way more than I needed to, but then I'll learn all sorts of extra things while going down some rabbit hole and I'll solve the initial problem, find an initial solution that works and then tinker with it from there uh, one of my probably one of my best qualities as a as a human being is my ability to just consume content and understand how to do things relatively quickly. Like I will, mm-hmm. I'll go into a rabbit hole all the time on random stuff, some productive, some not productive, and I'll just learn a whole bunch about it, and I'll try to uh, kind of operationalize it of how to implement uh, whatever that particular thing is. Like take mm-hmm. gardening, for example, like I have, I have a house and my wife and I have done gardening a couple of times. And, you know, I'll periodically, I did, <laughs> I was trying to grow grass in my yard cause I had some dead spots and I spent an unreasonable amount of time learning about grass and how to best grow grass <laughs> and trying to, and then about trees, about different trees in my area yeah. and how to, how to grow trees. I had a tree that I wanted, it was dying in my yard and I wanted to save it. And I just went unreasonably deep into the, into those topics and then learned a whole bunch and now I have better grass and better trees.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I, I think learning and stuff like that is some of the funnest stuff in life. So I wonder if you have a problem that I feel like I have in some ways with like businesses where part of the fun for me with a business is just like the challenge of like learning how to make a business that does well in like an area. And so typically when I'm like looking for new business ideas, trying to build something, like I, I kind of go towards something that's kind of newer to me because it's like the excitement of learning that market, learning how to build something for those customers. And which means in some ways, maybe I'm not using all the past like learnings I've had from other markets or from other things. Have, do, you, do you kind of run into that sometimes where you're kind of always go to new stuff because like you like to learn it?
1: Yeah, I definitely do. One of the things that I like doing is uh, I like the initial part, like you're saying, just like you, I like the initial part of having an idea and flushing it out, getting it off the ground or not in the past, and trying to get that initial, uh, yeah, that initial lift off of trying to make something work and figuring out the that first part. That's like that's the super fun for me, and I, I think it is for you, which is one of the reasons why I think, like in your last episode, you're talking about potion and trying to figure out. What you're gonna do and you're like eh, i kind of do an nft stuff and like maybe i won't super work on potion and it's like ooh plot thickens
0: <laughs> oh good well it makes maybe it makes for a good podcast then
1: yeah makes for good radio <laughs> uh
0: so so uh yeah when you heard that what were you thinking that i should were you thinking i was making a wrong choice then i don't
1: i don't think so i mean it's obviously your choice uh but i I could see it go either way. Like I could, I could do, if you made like a pros and cons columns and like a little little table or something, you could have a lot of pros and a lot of cons of doing it. Um, there's a lot of things that you could do with potion or city clash or something else if you really wanted to. And I think mm-hmm. what it's gonna come down to is is figuring out exactly what you as an individual want of do you want to work on the early phases of things or apps or products or do you wanna do something for five to 10 years? And then on the, note of, on the note of potion of the platform lock that you get with building on top of another platform and how long that's gonna last for you and how long that's gonna, right. that's gonna pan out, um, which is I think right. one of the reasons why you're kind of debating what you're gonna do next because right. you recognize that. And you, you and Ben have talked about that on the show couple of times of ben basically poking you saying like i mean platform lock is a real thing yeah but, that's true <laughs> yep that's true so um what if, yeah if you me... go ahead
0: sorry yeah i was gonna say i think um kind of like what you're talking about uh, about my situation i've wondered if for me if maybe i'm the kind of builder because i think this is kind of how i work in some ways where I could be good for having multiple businesses that are smaller, kind of like Potion where, you know, I I take that ramp time to get it going and maybe that takes a year. And then at that point, moving it to more of something that is automated as much as possible, but maybe something I I take a break from for like three months and then I come back to like, I feel like maybe if I, I take, Uh, a step back and then like in six, three, six months from now, come back. Like I'll have kind of some new energy to like push it farther, make changes that make it better. So Mm, I've kind of been wondering if I would be, if I would be a builder like that, like I've seen some other builders on Twitter that do that where they have, you know, kind of multiple products going at the same time, which allows them to kind of bounce around back and forth just to whatever kind of interests them. And to kind of get new energy from being on different projects instead of just working on the same thing all the time. So that's one thing I've thought about, like maybe it does make sense for me to have like two things going at once. Um, but, you know, keep pushing going so I can kind of continue to make it better and better, but not spend all my focus on it.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think that that's a a completely valid and and viable way to go. Like, so how much on a a weekly basis, how much time do you spend on Potion of not new feature development, but just just maintaining it?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So it kind of varies um, from week to week a little bit, but um, on average, I spend probably about 30 minutes to 45 minutes a day on customer support Um, and then typically typically nothing on the weekend so that's just you know probably five days a week Um, and that's just yeah that's just for the customer support every once in a while there'll be like a bug that comes up where i might need to spend a couple hours fixing or doing something like that so let's see what's that up to like three three to ten hours a week probably something in there um and that's you know that's very just with what else I've been doing because um, you know earlier in the year I was spending all my time on potion like building new things and stuff like that um but more recently with kind of ramping up city clash and getting that ready I've, I've I have spent a little less time on potion so
1: yeah so the the support ticket stuff that you get or all the support work do you do with your customers what what is that typically entail of? Is it someone struggling with a problem and they're saying, I have this specific thing, how do I fix it? Or
0: or what? Um, it it typically entails with like DNS issues is one of the big ones. People struggling with getting their domain set up correctly to point to potion the right way, just because that, that is kind of a confusing thing for people that haven't done that. Um, mm-hmm. Or like some issues with like, um, knowing how to update their their site with notion. So like typically, it, yeah, it's like they, they they just need a little bit of hand holding with creating their site. Um, that's the majority of it. Or everyone saw there's there's a thing or two where it's it's a potion bug and I just have to like go in and manually fix it on my side for them, something like that. Um, but yeah, that's what it typically looks like.
1: Do you have like help docs that are pre written for those common things? Like the DNS, for example. Like DNS is pretty straightforward once you understand yeah. it. So that could be a very simple like help doc Yeah, yeah I do you have, can give to people.
0: I do have docs for those basic ones. And I'm, I've had those docs for a while, but I do remember back before I had those docs, I got way more support um, stuff coming through just yeah, even like the DNS stuff. So it, it definitely did help when I, I created those docs and um, people can go just kind of figure that out on their own. So, But there probably That's is good. a couple more areas that I could make a couple more docs to kind of answer some of those questions. That's
1: fair. How much time do you spend when... So I've heard you talk about in the show several times of a lot of the times the Notion themselves will update some thing or they'll add a new block and that'll kind of break potion a little bit. How much time on... on we'll say a monthly basis do you spend on that or do you expect to spend on it?
0: Yeah, so probably, that actually hasn't happened too often. There's probably been three times in the lifetime of Potion where Notion just like made an update and it just like broke, you know, how like say how like Notion databases work or something like that. Um, And typically when that happens, it takes me like a a full day to kind of get everything back and running Um, well and and thankfully a lot of times it's not something that completely um like messes up all my customers because the the websites are like cached but any anybody that just created their website for the first time they'll see Mm -hmm. those issues like right away um and so that's why i have to like be quick to kind of fix those things um but yeah it it hasn't been a ton there there will be some like very little change and and that's the, the kind of the difficult thing with notion is there's there's so many blocks, there's so many like variations, where maybe they just changed a little bit of data of like, say the, the call out block, which is like, you can kind of call out some text in this block. If they change that, it might break it for some of my customers. But the, the, the number of customers that have that is like, probably small. And so There's just a lot of things like that where it's like they might change a little thing and it will just affect a very small group of my customers but i still need to go in and you know Mm -hmm. fix those kind of things
1: yeah i could see that there's a lot of a lot of edge casey type things that you would have to deal with and and try to maintain because it's a non-standard uh i guess not like a non-standard you know setup where you're using something that's not necessarily designed to be a website, but you could cause it's like, it's all HTML and Markdown in the end. So yeah, a lot of, a lot right. of edge casey yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's for sure. And I think that's one of the things that makes it a hard business for like a solo person. Like I'll have some kind of edge cases where no one really cares about that, but like one customer will mm-hmm. want it. And um, it's like one example is on databases, in Notion you can have a description that kind of shows up above the database mm. and um, Typically people don't really use it very much They just use they'll just use a text block and then just put a, a database right below it kind of thing But like I had this one customer that was like hey the uh, database text isn't showing up <clears throat> and um, just things like that where it's like it's just a very small use case that hardly anyone cares about but if one person cares about it i kind of feel like that pressure like oh i need to add support for that um so i don't know there's there's things like that where there's just a lot of edge cases
1: yeah have you told any customers that you either weren't interested in supporting any particular blocks or features that potion or sorry that notion has or giving them a time frame of that particular thing is going to be, you know, a month, two months down the road, because we're not looking at, that's not on the roadmap, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I have done that some. Um, I am, I'm definitely like a yes person. Like I like to make people happy and tell them, yes, I can do that. Um, So I, I, for a lot of things, that's what I do. But (laughs) there are some things where it's like, yeah, I'm just not going to do that. So like, for example, Notion has a calendar block, which is, or calendar database, which is it would be a huge thing for me to build, um, but build in calendars. Um, and so basically I've just decided like, I'm just not doing that. Um, I'm not supporting calendar blocks. Um, another one is formulas. So notion has formulas and potion supports it. Okay. Like some of the, the formula use cases it will get right. Um, but there's some more complex formulas that potion doesn't recreate correctly. And it's not really a problem cause not, most people aren't using formulas for like website kind of stuff. That's like, that's yeah. more for, <laughs> yeah. you know, you doing kind of calculations and your notion sheets and stuff like that. Um, but I have had a couple people they are like, hey, uh, can this formula, like I want it to work better, you know, things like that. And I just have told them that I'm not going to. So that's one of those cases. Do you
1: feel like you've lost customers because of it?
0: Uh, yeah, probably a few. For sure, um, because of the formula stuff. Um, for example, uh, some of some of them are a lot of times they're like people that are trialing, where it's like you know they're on the free trial and kind of they, they figure out that like oh like the calendar views not working and I, that's something I really need. Um, so typically it's like I'll lose them right there um, before you know actually having them as a customer.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a, it's a tough. Tough problems to have, especially like having all of those. It's it's kind of like death by a million cuts, where it's all sorts of tiny little edge cases that you're trying to facilitate your users and your customers to have. But then when you do it, it's only it only affects a a very small handful of people. So it's it's hard to feel like you're having that the impact that you might want. So I can yeah I can that resonates. Yep. So I guess yeah. the, the million dollar question is, if you didn't work on Potion, what would you work on?
0: Ooh, Oh. Ooh. bringing that out. Um, I know. Well, so I am working on City Clash and, mm-hmm. and you're helping with that. Uh, Nick has been a mod and helping with the community a lot. So appreciate you doing that. So that's been fun. Yeah. Um, and if you're interested
1: in NFTs, check out the show notes, <laughs> join the discord. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. It's all about um, green team. You got to join green team.
0: Yeah. I, I, I should only put the green team link in this this yes. show notes. That's only fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think I would... I really have enjoyed the Web3 stuff that I've been learning, um, you know, basically in the last nine months and just learning from doing City Clash and... Um, hopefully, like we'll keep working on City Clash. I think there's definitely some potential there, and that's been fun to, to work on. Um, but yeah, I have seen some like issues uh, around some of like the the NFT tooling, NFT trading, where maybe there's some products that could maybe make sense for me to build something in one of those areas. So I'm still thinking about that. The um, the hard the hard thing with crypto that I think I'm, I'm trying to find like the right line is I still, you know, I still want to build like an indie hacker kind of business. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the crypto stuff is, you know, very much like st- like either VC funded kind of stuff or very much like decentralized, like funded kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, it's a lot of new technology. So it it can take a lot of effort to make something that does well in those areas. Yeah, plus, it's um, also it's, very you know,
1: polarizing with the people. People are either mm-hmm. very into crypto or they hate crypto. So it's, you know, it's, right. it's an interesting life to be living right. So,
0: so it's like trying to find a, an idea that fits more of like the bootstrapper mentality where it's something that can work and be a, a good, stable business, but doesn't have to be um, like moving like super fast, like competing against huge startups or huge uh businesses that have a lot of funding um and so yeah just trying to find like the right niche i think is really what it will come down to is like finding a niche um probably like a specific um, chain or something that's missing on maybe a newer chain but like has shown has proven to be something that's already valuable elsewhere in crypto like i think those are some of the things that makes more sense for like indie hacking kind of stuff um so yeah i have i have a couple ideas um but at the same time, it's also like, it's interesting that we're now kind of in a bear market, kind of with the whole economy, but economy, but especially with crypto, where it's, it's interesting. Yeah, because in some ways, it makes less things feasible. Um, but at the same time, it's also just a great time to build too, because it kind of takes away all of the edges of just like, people just... Being there because there's money to be made in crypto and now it's Mm -hmm. like the what's left is kind of just the real value Like the real builders that are building stuff. That's gonna potentially, you know, hopefully be valuable later down the road Um, The problem though, so like I think Things that are really valuable will be created kind of during this bear market The problem is will they have like you have to have the funding and, and the money Potentially to be able to make it a reality and it's it's harder to get that in a bear market when there's not a lot of people like hyped about the new stuff that's being built um, in crypto. So there's yeah there's kind of a hard line to walk there. And so I'm just yeah I'm just kind of watching, learning, kind of figuring out like what makes sense. Like if I could pull something off, but uh, yeah we'll see.
1: Yeah, well I mean if you think about it, you could use Potion as your funding runway. So like, mm-hmm. like you said, you're doing probably sub-10 hours a week working on Potion just to maintain it. That's a lot of time to build something else where you know you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on Potion and you could do something else. You could do all the initial work for a new project or new mm-hmm. app and that could be crypto-focused. Yeah. And uh, you know you have uh, a, a lot of runway with having a completely working product that's
0: generating income. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, there's definitely... Yeah, I definitely have uh, I'm in a good position with that where I could I could use my resources elsewhere. I think the main thing, though, is like finding something that ideally could start to make money fairly quickly. Um, Like, that's why I always lean more to like, I'm kind of scared of the ideas of like, you know, going off building a product for six months to a year. And then hoping that it will make money, you know. Hope, hoping um, you can
1: get those two first customers, and you're like, guys, ah, year well spent. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, yeah, just that could also just be trickier during a, a bear market. But yeah, I don't know. There, there's definitely lots to figure out there. And um, but that's that's also, I think, why the Web three stuff is is fun, is because there there are a ton of problems to be solved and there's just a lot of new stuff going on. And so, you know, I'm not an idea guy. Like I think I'm, I'm pretty bad at like coming up with good ideas. Um, and kind of when I look at, you know, like there's people that like they'll they'll come up with five ideas every day and write them in a notebook and stuff like, that's not me. Like I'm not coming up with great ideas. Oh, that's, that's me. you. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> I have
1: I have both Notion documents and Evernote documents and regular like text files on my assortment of devices of all sorts of ideas some of them crypto-focused, some of them not I have a Notion uh, an oh, nice. page and it's called what's it called uh, one's just called Code Projects and it's just a, an Notion database that's uh, it's quite the scroll list
0: Wow, are, are you willing to share a couple of these ideas with us?
1: Oh uh, yeah, sure, let me see let me find some good one to make some good radio um <laughs> Hmm. hmm. I'm trying to find one that I, it's not one that I'm already actively working on.
0: Yeah. So then we can't just all go steal it.
1: Yeah. Um. Hmm.
0: But but while you're looking, um, yeah, I think for me, like, I think maybe one. I think I'm kind of picky, but also. Like my personality I'm just kind of like okay with things like I'm not I'm not the kind of personality where things bother me that much and I feel like you almost need that a little bit to like see problems and be like oh that's a new idea for a business where for me I'm like I'm feeling I'm good I'm I'm content with how life is there's not like a ton of even like software apps where I I use them and I'm like oh this is terrible um so I don't know that to me when I look at like web2 I feel like Pretty much, I don't know, to me it feels like a lot of the problems are already solved. Like, there's already people doing those things. And so, yeah, it's just I'm not good at finding and picking apart the ideas that are still, like, there's still something left on the bone to, like, go out and, and build something for. Where when I look at Web3, there's, like, an obvious number of just tons of problems and issues that still need to be figured out. And, and they're hard problems. So, anyways, that's that's kind of me with the bad stuff. Yeah, idea I mean, stuff, but
1: <laughs> I mean... Uh... There's also the mindset shift of something that's already working in web two, just changing the niche or the the target audience can be a completely different and completely viable and successful business and and people are doing that. Take job boards, for example. like job boards have been around forever. Uh, you know, going from Craigslist back in the day when the internet was first uh, you know popping uh mm-hmm. job boards were created and people posting their jobs and now with uh remote working being so prevalent in really the whole world that job boards have exploded and there's to the point where they have niche down take a like a developer job board of a specific subset of developers or programmers that focus on a particular tech stack say um I don't know, like a PHP developer job board where you can only find PHP jobs, you can only post PHP jobs, or another completely mm-hmm. different one for Rails, because especially with tech stacks, like once someone gets a tech stack, and most people become uh, an evangelist of that tech stack, and you know they want to really support it, and you know all that good stuff. But you could do something, anyone for that matter, could do something similar with uh, with Web3 and crypto if they're interested in it. Like there's, there, like you said, there's tons of problems that need to be solved, and will eventually get mostly solved, but it's going to take individuals like yourself and and probably some of the listeners of figuring out what problems that we have in web three. And if they're interested in web three, for that matter, figuring out those problems that web three has, especially for builders to, you know, build out that tooling to taking something that works totally well in web two, kind of changing it a little bit and flipping it to like a web three type thing. And, there's yep. people that are making all sorts of good, good products. Take uh, like NFT, um, like NFT sale tracking type stuff. If you think about it, an NFT is very similar to a stock for a company. Like you have a share, yeah, there's set right. number of shares, set number of NFTs in the collection. Kind of similar, um, you know, technology wise or not technology wise, but um, it, in practice they're very similar. So there's we've had. Uh, like brokerage platforms and trading platforms forever. And then this whole crypto NFT came NFT thing came out. And now we have platforms like OpenSea where you can buy and sell these stocks, these quote unquote stocks that are NFTs. And that's, you know, that's been a product that's been around forever as far as the internet's been along. And even before the internet, like the stock market's been around for a hundred plus years or whatever. And it's just re re changing the, the mindset of how you're thinking about a product into a different, a uh, different customer base or a different user base. Tons of businesses are yeah. you know being very successful like that. Yeah, I couldn't have sent it better. All right, I got um, one.
0: Yeah, go for the uh, this idea. I want to hear it.
1: So it's a crypto themed one. It I don't know how well of a how good of a business this would make, but it'd be a cool little product. So let me frame it out for you. So when you are browsing the internet and you see someone has a crypto wallet, they post their their uh, wallet address it's you know a cryptographic hash so it's a big long garbled string and i thought of this uh this random idea of a browser plugin that could smartly detect the blockchain that that hash would be on based off of its um based off the the person who posted it say like like a youtube video description where they say this is my ethereum address of 0x you know whatever and having a uh, a browser plugin that could smartly detect that address and convert it into like a clickable button where you could basically convert it into a transaction of sending a donation or some sort of support to that individual, you know, like uh, there's tons of projects that have donation links and you can support the project by donating your preferred crypto, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever. But you could just easily click a button, it pops up with your metamask or, or Phantom wallet or whatever to facilitate that transaction to make it a little bit yeah. use a little bit more user friendly, which would I think in turn help the normies, as we call them, help normal people that aren't crypto uh, centric to kind of adopt crypto, making it easier for them to you know support a creator. instead of going to Patreon and paying the 10%, you could directly support a creator a little bit easier.
0: I like that idea that's a that's a pretty good idea and um I feel like there's a pretty simple model like you said to like you take a tiny percentage or whatever percentage off the top of the donations that are sent and that's how the business makes money um but I like it yeah that's a good one
1: yeah that's a random one and we can we can talk offline about some of the the crypto ideas if you want I've got I've got a list
0: the secret ideas the secret ideas (laughs) well i mean if you want to build
1: something in crypto or web3 and you're looking for an idea i can i can hook you up with some ideas noah
0: oh wow well thanks nick uh yeah we should probably uh end the episode here this has been fun uh so thanks for coming on and maybe we'll have to have you come on and talk some more maybe share more of your ideas in the future
1: Ooh, plot thickens yeah thanks for having me it's been awesome and uh i can't wait till the next time i'm here